Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast for December 1st, 2010. My name is Michael Rosso. I'm here with Dwayne Polkew. Hello, hello, hello. And John Fidelli. Hi, film fans. And that's what this podcast is. It's the internet radio show for people who love to shoot with film. Why is it called an internet radio show? Because well, it really isn't a radio. Is, it, is that a common term on the internet for shows like this? I'm actually glad you asked that because I was going to say that most people don't know what a podcast is. So I do a lot of you know blogging about, hey, listen to my podcast. Listen to the podcast. And I just take it for granted that people know what a podcast is. And quite frankly, many people don't. So many uh, shows, like there's a horror publication called Rue Morgue. Yes. They call themselves Rue Morgue Radio. Now, they don't have a radio station, but they're on the internet, just like us, on iTunes, on Zoom, and it's easier to, to comprehend. Because it's a, it's a commonly known term. It's just like when people shoot uh, with an HD DSLR camera, they still call it shooting video. There's yes, no, there's, they, yes, there's no videotape in it. Right. I mean, you know, but people know what you mean. So I call it the Film Photography Podcast Internet Radio Show so people can digest what That's it is. It's a mouthful of Manhattan, boy. It really is. First up, um, I think you guys remember that last time we did our, our roundtable, we gave away uh, uh, photo processing. Yes, very exciting. Prints and scans mm -hmm. from our good friends at Sharp Photo and Portrait up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Well, I received an email oh, let's hear the from, feedback. from Spencer. And uh, Spencer says, just got caught up with all the FPP shows from the November Blitz, if you recall. <laughs> November, we had a show every week. Every week, yeah. every day. Crazy. It, it was nuts. The shows this month have been great. Great variety, participation, interaction, information, stunning. Wow, that's awful stunning. nice, Spencer. Glowing reviews. I've attached a few photos from around the store and a few team members to show the community where the film is going. Are right. they pictures of cheese? <laughs> Jeez. Wisconsin. Oh, no, no, no. It was uh, pictures of the lab, and uh, there's the big cheese. He had a shot of the boss at his <laughs> desk. Big cheese. So yeah. he had the big cheese. Rare and shape. these images will be, for everyone listening, uh, these images will be on our show notes. Show notes. Show notes, by the way, is basically a, uh, a blog page attached to this show. If you go to filmphotographypodcast.com, you go to this show, December 1st, 2010, and there's a little... Uh, word you could check called show notes if you click that you'll go to a blog page and there there you will see like images we shot mm. pictures from sharp photo uh links stuff we talk about everything we refer to on yes. the show so you, it's kind of like a storybook follow along it's kind of like cliff notes yes yes with bonus extras i'm happy to report is nice. this is uh, spencer talking i am happy to report that we have a few inquiries from fpp listeners around the world Great. About our film services since being announced on the show. We are thrilled that the processing giveaway aired and cannot wait to see what the winners send our way. We've got some special plans for the winners, mm. and we'll be letting them know once the film starts rolling in. Great. Once again, Mike, that's me, thanks for being the voice and rallying a great community of enthusiasts. We are cooking up another grand giveaway. Uh, Spencer basically saying that he's gonna, we're going to cook something else up yeah. for 2011. They're getting, in other words, they're giving away... Free airline tickets to Wisconsin <laughs> from anywhere in the world. So I printed out, actually to give to you, John, I printed out an order form because John Fideli uh, shoots color print mm -hmm. film. Mm. Got three rolls ready to go. You can get uh, develop only. Like you could send your film, like someone like myself who uses the uh, Epson V700 to scan, mm -hmm. I don't really need prints because I'd rather scan it and then get prints made 
you know, from be selected. from selects. So develop only 135, 120, or 220 film is one dollar forty nine cents. Absolutely bargain basement prices. Yes. Now, me personally, I tend to uh, I spread my love around. <laughs> I, I use Dwayne's photo. I use Clark Color Labs. I use the the kind folks at Blue Moon Camera up in uh, Oregon. Do any of these folks process four by five film? I would like to say that uh, Blue Moon does it. Oh, they're great guys. And when I send an order in, because it's always they, I send them the funny stuff. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, for example, define that, Mike. I will. Do you remember uh, last <laughs> roundtable when we uh, shot the Pioneer? The Ansco Pioneer 616? Yes. Sure. With the exploding bulb? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you guys see the video? Yes. I did, yes. <laughs> That's quite a flash, isn't it? I'm like, the I don't flash know. is like, whoa. What could possibly go wrong with it? Yup, the yup, the yup. Yeah, well, you turned your head when you took the uh, when you pressed was, the button, didn't you? I was you? afraid. <laughs> People are loving the uh, video. So the, the Sharp has the best prices. Definitely. Because Dwayne's has develop only as well as does Blue Moon. Clark is a very consumer-based, old-timey. They've been around a, forever. They're in a time machine. But uh, Clark Color Labs, you send them your 35 millimeter uh, or your 110 film, and they'll send you back uh, prints and the negs. But they have a great website where you can you know, put your prints up there, and then you can get little books made out of it. Yes. You can order a lot do. of stuff, mugs, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. Clark Color Labs. And, you know... Um, like many things, uh, listeners sometimes say, hey, Mike, you know, you never talk about Olympus 35-millimeter cameras. Oh, you never talk about this. I mean, I kind of talk about what I know and what I feel like I, I'm qualified to talk about. I can tell you that, you know, I've experienced these labs, so I can give you a firsthand picture, you know, mental picture, digital picture, audio picture <laughs> of what's going, you know, of my experiences with this lab. And you've had all positive experiences. Yes. They've never uh, said, uh, your film disintegrated. <laughs> Like they, Target. Do, like they do at Target. The problem with Target or Kmart or Walmart is that they have unqualified people working their machines. It's immediate gratification, but if you're going to bring a, a if you're going to bring a USB card to Target to get prints, great, knock right. yourself out. But right. if you're going to bring a roll of film, you know you're you're basically work. You know, well, it's so automated now, though they don't need qualified people. They just load the film and press the button. The problem is that I, I I do not believe, and this is my personal opinion, I do not believe that Walmart or Target here in the U.S. they're not maintaining their machines because their thought is that when this breaks, that's it, we're pulling it out. Because that's what Walmart did. They're just hanging on by the last thread, really. They don't they're, care. They're they're you know. CVS has a lot invested in it. I've seen CVS, guys in there fixing their yes. machines many times. Yeah, CVS. You could even bring your 110 film to CVS, although they farm it out. Oh, do they? Yes. My Aunt Linda, that's my mom's sister. Right. Still, she shoots 110. Still. She comes to she comes to a holiday with her you know her pocket Instamatic camera. That's great. What's happened, unfortunately? I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna get into that in a few minutes. Uh, one ten. I have the I have the one ten film update mm. newsflash. Oh. But um, I just want to you know say to our folks out there that if you want to give Sharp Photo and Portrait a shot at developing, they develop C forty one, C forty one, and uh, black and white development and prints. They do ha- they do have a develop only service. They don't do slides. E six. They, uh, they do not do E six. They'll cross process for you. Okay. E six. Do they make digital uh, CDs? They do. Okay. If you have, uh, if you want to cross process briefly, if, if you're wondering, hey, uh, what do you mean? What is this cross process? Uh, cross processing is you're taking a a color slide film, which is E six processing, and you're getting it processed in the wrong chemistry, 
So you'll send it to someone to, who develops C41, which is color print film, and by cross-processing it, it changes the colors. As a matter of fact... And it comes back highly flammable. <laughs> it comes... <laughs> for real? It? No. I believe that color... Stop it. I believe, away from fire or flame. I believe that the... I believe that the slide film comes back as a negative. Almost positive. I've only tried it twice, and the results were not as I had hoped. I thought there would be a very unique, odd color shift. And it was E6 film and C41 chemistry. It was green. And it came back like a greenish negative. Yes. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. Well, you have to go with it. The strange thing about cross-processing is when I get the negs back, I instinctively try to color correct it in Photoshop. I'm like, oh, my God. It's green. If you go on Flickr.com and you search cross-process, you'll see lots of examples of what cross-processing is. So uh, if you would like to contact Sharp Photo, uh, you go to the Google. The Google. The Google. Or you go to, uh, actually, go, just go to sharpphoto.net, S-H-A-R-P-P-H-O-T-O.net. And I'm not sure if they have online forms to download, but you can always shoot me an email, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. And I have uh, order forms as a PDF if you're interested, and I'll just shoot it over to you and uh, give these guys a shot. And I'm, I'm thrilled. And the reason I'm so, like, uh, gung-ho about this is because they just gave away, you know, 10 mm. processing certificates that we, we've given away. And if you haven't received it yet, sit tight. They're on their way to get film processing, prints, and a, a, a scanned CD. And that's, you know, that's going to be a lot of work for these guys. Yep. And they have the right attitude, and that's what we're all about here, having the right attitude. So thank you very much, uh, Spencer. And uh, hopefully 2011 we'll be uh, doing some more fun stuff with you. And I'm giving this order form to John Fideli. Yay. Next up, I received my, uh, my membership card in the mail from the Impossible Project. You, you can become a member? Yes. How, how does, how, why am I not a member? You should be president. <laughs> you be- <laughs> it's, it's, the their, it's their Pioneer Club. This came all the way from Vienna. Look at this. And it's a very slick, to old Vienna. like black sort of package with a very thick Is there a card credit in there? card, a card type. You guys can pass that around. What's that good for? It says, an instant and warm welcome from, to the Impossible Pioneer Card Club. We are delighted to herewith present you with your personal Impossible Pioneer card. It's nice. That's it's made metal. of... Uh, Carbon of, fiber. It looks like it's made of aluminum. And to welcome you amongst our close supporters in our analog adventure. Without you and your support, the Impossible Project would never have been possible, and we would, at this point, like to express an honest thank you from our passionate analog hearts. For those of you who are just tuning in, Impossible Project makes film, makes new film for old Polaroid SX70, Polaroid 600 cameras, and for Polaroid Spectra cameras. Tune into our podcast. One of our podcasts in November was an interview with The Impossible Project. Just go to filmphotographypodcast.com and scroll down. You'll see the archived episodes if you'd like to listen to Dr. Florian Caps and Dave Bias. They were kind enough to invite me to uh, their New York flat, their beautiful studio space, to uh, talk about The Impossible Project. And what does that card and membership entitle you to? Well, here's what happens. Uh, The card, because I've bought so much Impossible film, Mm-hmm. If you buy X amount, you get enrolled in the program, okay. and then you get a percentage off every time you place an order. Oh, well, that's nice. I don't recall what it is. I think it's 5% off. I'm not quite sure. And you can impress your friends with that card. Well, you know what? When you buy a lo- as much film as I do, that little percentage off really is nice. 
Yes. Yeah. It yeah really you're is. buying to buy the case. Yeah. Well, not buy the case, but but I buy quite a bit. Film head. Their new color push film, by the way, is uh, available. Uh, Searching. <laughs> Searching. Searching. Here's color push film, which is a huge improvement over their last uh, color shade first flush and uh, this is for sx70 cameras if you listen to dr florian caps he was very clear that this is still uh the second generation still a work in progress next year a third generation will be coming out and uh the push film is very good i advise scanning it after 24 hours because if it sits for a week it will start leaning towards the blue Really? Yes. It's uh, continually, the chemistry is continually working. That's pretty interesting. They also recommend, if you're, if you're brave enough, and I'm certainly not brave enough yet, if you do those uh, Polaroid uh, image transfers, you could open up this packet, a finished print, and you could peel the emulsion off huh. and put the emulsion on a piece of paper. You have to... Press it off. If you go to theimpossibleproject.com, there's a little video up there of how to do that. What are you scared of? I have to get a pan... And uh, like a bedpan kind of thing. Bedpan. And you, you, fill you already have one of those, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> and you fill it with warm water. They're heavily used, so we need a new one. And you fill it with warm water, and then yeah. you immerse the print into the right. pan. To loosen it up a it bit. It loosens it up. Then you peel the emulsion off. Yeah. And then it gets all squiggly. Like it all curls up. Oh. You actually have to brush it. I don't so know. you got to be prepared. Uh, you do a couple of test runs. You have to have patience. Mm. You have to be in that vibe, sort of like the vibe you are in when you are in the film-changing bag. Yeah. Or darkroom. You know, kind of like once you're in, like you have to get the task done. You have to be completely, you, you have to completely concentrate on what you're doing. You can't get an itch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. I have some, some breaking news about 110 Films. Breaking news. This is our news break. Uh, last roundtable, we discussed uh, 110 Film, and we actually shot with the Pentax Auto 110, the, mm. the, the little SLR camera. Cute. So that got me to thinking, well, you know, what's going on with 110 Film? Because it's slowly disappearing, yet there are a lot of enthusiasts out there still shooting. So... I wrote to, first I wrote to Scott DiSabato. I said, uh, I'll read the letter I wrote it's to very him. Very lyrical name, Scott DiSabato. Yes. I said, an actor name. Scott DiSabato. Scott DiSabato looks like an actor. Scott DiSabato. Yes, does. Scott DiSabato. Scott DiSabato. Scott DiSabato. It's very lyrical. Yes. He looks like an actor. Like he could be like in a movie, one of these like espionage spy movies with George Clooney. Fair other papers. No, he's American. Oh, he's American? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I say, hi, Scott. As a fan of small-gauge film, and using Keith Canham as an inspiration for support for large format, is it conceivable that Kodak would produce a run of 110 cartridge color print film if the special order was big enough to warrant the process? Mm. I ask because Holga still manufactures 110 film cameras, and it appears that no company makes film. As a voice on my internet radio show, speaking to so many film shooters, that's you guys out there, by the way, it would be fantastic to keep the fun format alive. You get that fun film format? Fun film format. F -f 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 Any chance? Love Mike. Love Mike. Michael. I'm right there with you. 
but our 110 spooling equipment is lost to the ages. Oh, dear. Goodbye. I believe that uh, that means that their machinery is kaput. It's probably just so way out, out gone. Forget it. Bad news from Kodak, but I was envisioning them cutting two. This is like, you know, a dream right now. The dream would be they would cut two film stocks they would issue. A Kodak Ektar 100, mm-hmm. 110 film, and a Kodak Portra 400. It would be monumental. You may say Mike envisions a Mike envisions a Kodak manufacturing plant somewhere with just, you know, mile after square mile of film and then one big huge rack that says FPP on it. The one ten factory. Well it's all made in the same factory. He wants it? he wants he, he wants a hotline that he could just pick up. Hey, can you roll me off a couple of rolls of one ten hectar? So I uh, wrote a letter to Eric Joseph at Freestyle. Freestyle There we go. To Eric. Uh, yada yada, we met you last month at PDN, doing Polk you interviewed you, yada yada. Uh, I'm preparing a show that will highlight 110 cartridge film. With Fuji and Kodak discontinuing production, and Holga still making 110 cameras, will Freestyle be supporting 110 film by carrying the new films coming from ADOX? Why don't you ask the people at the Impossible Project? Because Impossible Project... If it project, goes away, then they can have a you always, You know, John always asks the same question whenever there's an... What? Because Impossible is instant photography. I know, but it's maybe they want to branch out, because if this... Maybe they want to make carburetors, John. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Eric, Eric Joseph of Freestyle says, good to hear from you. Hey, I, ha- I hear uh, Count Chocula is going to go away. Maybe they can start making that again. <laughs> Well, they start, you know, uh, General Mills made Quisp again. Quisp? Really? If you go into uh, a store, a supermarket here, on certain times of the year, huh. you'll see a huge Quisp stand. Really? If you go to... Uh, I love that If stuff. you Google Quisp, you'll find that you probably can order it uh, on the web. Quisp. It's just Captain Crunch in convenient saucer form. Yes, and if you search YouTube, you'll find the old Quisp and Quake commercials. Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah. So Eric says, this is from Freestyle. I have had some conversations with ADOX on the 110 film. Bottom line is if they make it available to us, we will carry it. Mm. 110 film format seems to be interesting in Japan, Hmm. but here in the United States, there has been little interest. We don't get many calls for this format. Power shovel? Power shovel? Exactly. I thought the same thing. I googled it. It's a Japanese website. The Google. Power shovel. Power shovel seems to do a lot with it in Japan, hmm. and I know that they bought up the last stocks of film from Kodak and Ferrania a while back. Ferrania is an Italian company that made film. See, si. Hey, si. Ferrania. Yeah. What are you going to do? They want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? It's kind of a chicken and egg thing. We never brought in the Holga 110 cameras because of lack of interest in the 110 format hmm. and the lack of film availability. This could change in the near future. I will keep you posted. Well... It, you know, it's up to you folks out there listening. Yeah. 110 film format, it's mostly dismissed. But you know what? It's a lot of fun. It's very grainy. It's 16-millimeter it's film that's formatted to fit cameras. It produces a really uh, high-grain image. And I know so many digital photographers that turn to film always seem to want the grain because it's so absent. Mm. It's so absent. Ab- ab- abstinent. Absent? Uh, yes. It's so abs- absent. It's so absent. Absinthe? It sounds like that's what you've been drinking. It's so <laughs> say absent. It's so absent from uh, digital photography. Right. The grain. So people absinthe want grain. Absinthe makes your abstinence absent. If you... Whoa. 
you can get 110 film expired on uh, eBay, and there is beyond many, 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 many 110 cameras available. It's a really fun format. Processing is readily available. So um, if any folks out there listening are into 110 film, really now is your chance. I mm-hmm. suggest you flood our mailbox, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. You guys got that? Yeah, I got R- it. And let R- us know that you support 110 Film, because the only way that anyone is going to bring in 110 Film is if someone wants it. There's a need for it. And I'm flabbergasted that Lomography.com and Freestyle... Freestyle! ...doesn't carry the the, the 110 Holga or the... Uh, um, there's two two 110 Holger cameras. I think that they should carry them. Well, props to Power Bucket. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a different vibe in Japan. Yeah. You think? I think they're... <laughs> <laughs> well, they're into a lot of stuff that's hip. They are. Speaking of... Uh, very hip people. Freestyle. I know Dwayne will really appreciate <clears throat> this. I have Popular Photography Magazine from May 1972. Oh, that's mine. I went on eBay <laughs> and I bought like six... Or seven issues. I'm going to start uh, buying Who's back the issues. the original su- subscriber? This is uh, Mrs. Lenora Berglund from Portland, Oregon. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Really? Uh, first of all, I, I love looking through these magazines for the articles and the ads. And the yeah. thing is, because I, I subscribe to Popular Photography now, and the thing is, I'm going to, I may not continue because there's nothing in there that interests me. Yeah. Everything is digital. And, much and I have now, a question. Yeah. I have a, a big question for Popular Photography or any magazine. Why? direct this to Dwayne. Maybe he has, like, what he thinks. Why? Why can't they devote 10% of the magazine to film? Film's still being sold. St- cameras are still being made. Why? Because what's happened in, in the United States publishing, maybe not necessarily a reflection of what's going on in England, because I like British photo magazines better than U.S. photo magazines. But in the United States... Editorial content is beholden to advertisers. Mm. And advertisers say, you're going to write this article about these people using our product because we're giving you all this money to publish your magazine. And that's why they do it. That's, that really is truly the reason why it happens. And if you read editorials, they're almost like advertisements yeah. and, and vice versa. You'll miraculously yeah. find an ad, f- an ad for that product somewhere else yeah. in the magazine. Exactly. Or a review. A review of yeah. it. A glowing so review. editorial and advertising in photographic magazines have merged really as one. If you look at, first of all, the quality of British photo magazines are much better. They're larger. They're perfect bound, a lot of them. They're a heavier paper stock. And they'll say, mm. oh, this is an article about Joe Cornish doing 4 by 5 color photography. You'll, you rarely see that in the United States. Uh, maybe you'll see it in outdoor photography, uh, but in a popular photography magazine like Pop Photo, like you, you subscribe to, you never see 4 by 5 I mean, the last time I saw an article on John Sexton was like 10 years ago talking about, you know, doing some 4x5 black and white. But it's all digital now. Can you mention a name of a magazine? That what? From a British Britain? magazine. Oh, from... Br- um, there's an outdoor photography magazine, England, that's really, really great. Okay. And, uh, Do you black, have some at home? Black, yeah, Black and White Photography magazine. If you get a copy of that, it's called Black and White Photography from the UK is simply the best. They have portfolios. This guy used 35 millimeter... Uh, digital. This guy used two and a quarter black and white film. This guy used four by five film. It's right. just about it's about the image versus the process. So, however, that person got to that point, they showcase right. the portfolio mm. and they have an article, um, and they have a re- they have a feature in that magazine retro cameras. 
And Very every, nice. And every time I look at that page, it's like, you know, oh, this was manufactured in 1920-something. It's just amazing. It's a great well, magazine. Well, whenever I, I get a back issue of popular photography from the 70s, when I'm reading it, I'm reading it, I feel like I'm reading it for the first time like it's brand new. Mm. Because although I don't live in the past, my photography world is very much in 1972. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I just love it. Yeah. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the reason I brought this up, uh, Eric Joseph was kind enough to write back to us regarding 110 film. Look what I found in the back of this magazine. An ad. Oh, my gosh. Look at all that An stuff. An ad for freestyle. <laughs> yes. Wow. And, uh, it's got to be the same too. freestyle, right? Yeah, 1427 Northwestern Avenue at Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood, California. Same place, right? Same place. It's got to be the same place. And this is going back to May? 72. 72. And we didn't ask Eric or uh, Patrick Delabovi about freestyle history. Hmm. You know, that's very, that's the interesting thing about these places, like freestyle or unique photo. They all have some kind of like history. Well, this was the heyday, wasn't it? I mean, even though like unique photo is a, like a digital superstore right now. I used now, to work for these guys. Oh, uh, uh, Dwayne's showing me a Dust Off ad, and uh, he's saying he used oh. to work for Dust Off. I didn't know that was around that long ago. Dust Off was owned by Falcon. Falcon owned Edwall. Edwall made photochemistry. Oh. I was a technical rep, and I used to do their catalog. Are they still in business? Um, they sold Edwall to, I think, Brandis called Etna, and they still make Dust Off in uh, their factory in Branchburg, New Jersey. Oh. So you go, they were mountainside then. You go into, let's say, Unique Photo, and it's like a digital superstore, but there is some roots there. All these companies have these grassroots of you know, someone who had the passion to start something small that became something big. I love old photo magazines. Well, I guess if you're a photography studio and you want to stay in business, you've got to go to where the money is, you which do. is digital. You do. It'd be great to be a standout, but you'd be broke. I, I wish there was more education towards film photography. I mean, because the, the general masses... You know, people you see every day. It's almost like film photography to, to them doesn't exist anymore. Like they think it's gone. Like you hear, you know, people say, What? They still make film? Yeah. You hear that all the time. You can still buy film? Like uh, people think it's just disappeared. So. Well, because it's not in the uh, vernacular anymore. Well, that's why. That's Even the digital cameras look like 35 millimeter cameras. Some of the newer digital cameras look like old Leicas. They, all, they yeah. all do, yeah. Well, that's why we're here, folks. To, uh, to keep it alive. To keep it alive, indeed. I got a few emails regarding Zune, because we had asked, what was Zune? And uh, from our... Z-O-O-N. No. You said Zune. Zune. Z-U-N-E. Oh, okay. Zune is Microsoft's attempt at undercutting the Apple iPod market. Sadly, it's never made it as big as the iPod Why iTunes. Is it sadly? I'll, I'll let you know. Maybe okay. this is from our friend Alex. I still use Zune as my MP3 player, as I much prefer the interface of the Zune software than the iTunes interface. So mm. Alex feels, first of all, Alex, John is like this huge Apple guy. He's so been like huge. Oh, Are you really? I just, I just find been, Apple to been, be more. Uh, he's been converted. User friendly. The problem with Apple guys, you gotta be careful. Apple guys tend to like. They try to sell you on it like like it's a cult. And if you don't join, <coughs> they call their other friends, and all of a sudden there's a car <laughs> behind you, and everybody's wearing no. black with a Stephen Jobs haircut. My it's, like, it's like walking in the dark, and somebody suddenly puts a flashlight on you. You're like, oh, my God. My web guy, when he was setting up the website he came to visit, he just got an iPhone. This is like two years ago. He all, he all of a sudden went into demonstration mode, showing the, 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 thing, the device to me like I'm going to buy it. I'm like, dude... I, they're, in, they're crazy good. I know, but I don't need the sales pitch. Okay. But anyhow, thanks, Alex, uh, for explaining that. Alex, of course, is Alex, Lens for Hire. We murder his last name every time we try to say it. I'm not even going to bother. 
Alex, I think it's Loichik. You remember Alex, right? Loichik. Yes. We both, we both, Dwayne and I both murdered your last name. And he's at A-L-E-X-L-U-Y-C-K-X.com. Alex Lens for Hire. Good friend of the FPP. And he's sending me a Polaroid 192 timer for my Polaroid camera. Thank you very much. Cool. It's needed because actually I gave my timer to uh, April in Ontario, Canada. April was my guest on the last show of November. And she is a Polaroid photographer who does self-portraits. And I felt she needed the timer more than I did. Mm. So I gave it her. Oh, that's sweet. It is. See, it all came around. Yeah, things do come around. Because now you're getting one back. That is a very... That's karma. That's a very good way of looking at things. You know what? This is a great magazine, too, because it says in the cover, Processing Tri-X for Maximum Sharpness and Minimum Grain. Well, Kodak still makes 4x5 Tri-X film. Maybe there's some secret in this magazine that I've never heard of or never... Could be. Hasn't the the Tri-X formula of film changed, though? Is it a different stock? It has changed. I think what they did is they, they probably changed the base of it more than anything else. Okay. Uh, I don't think they changed the emulsion that much. Maybe they made it a little bit faster. I mean, there, I'm sure there are people that will disagree with me. I've seen processing both of them really virtually no difference in the look of it. But uh, it's not like new Coke. <laughs> I'm going to no. change it completely. <laughs> uh, Ed, our good friend Ed. This is Ed Kriziak. Ed's written to us before. Where's he from? Hmm. Doesn't say. Doesn't say. But he says, great podcast as usual. Thank you, Ed. He mentioned Zoom, and he says it's a Microsoft answer to the iPod. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not an Apple fan, so I have been using my Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of folks have been saying that we have been costing them money, and we have been costing them money because we are uh, our listeners. Saying we're costing them money? We're costing them money because they're getting jazzed up about film, and they're buying cameras. Oh, well, yeah, but it's all going to a good place. Absolutely. Same thing with people who complain about, not, look, it's not really a complaint, right. but They're a concern saying. over cost of film mm-hmm. stock. I don't feel that way because you're creating something for yourself that's going to be part of your portfolio for your whole life. And, and that's valuable. And it's unique. It's valuable. It's valuable. So Ed says, you'll be the only guy on your block, I guarantee it, with images like that. Ed bought a Canon EOS 620. Then, he, then I bought a photochrome camera. I don't know what a photochrome camera is. No. Do you? Dwayne? P-H-O-T-O-C-H-R-O-M. F-O-T-O chrome camera. What is this, a spelling bee? (laughs) (laughs) I expected that it may not work, but I bought it anyway. Now I have a Minolta SLR body heading my way. Oh, and I bought a domain. He has a website. www.k14.us. Yeah. K14. K14 being the Kodachrome process? Absolutely. I checked it out. It's uh, pretty fun. I encourage our listeners to check out K14.us. He is incorporating film into his wedding photography, and he's on the hunt for a Minolta lens for his body. Uh, Also, what is he going to become a camera? Oh, for his camera body. (laughs) Yes, for his camera. You you guys touched upon Seattle Filmworks. Mm. Man, I hated that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they gave it away for pennies and made yeah. their money on processing. Absolutely. The that, black back that was the deal. The black backing really gunked up one hour photo machines. Anyway, inspiring stuff. Well thank you, Ed, for the letter. Hey, can I talk about um can I talk about how um people saying they're they're spending a lot of money on film now? Yes. You know, I go to different relatives' houses for different occasions and holidays and you know, you always look at pictures of people's kids that are hanging up in various places and it's all digital. Like every member of my family has all digital photos from school and this and that. But because I'm a film enthusiast, yes. all my photos are quite different. And people always remark, oh, that's a great picture. Of Do they really? Door. Yeah. 
oh, that's a great black and white picture of your daughter. What'd you do? And I'm like, that's, that's film. That's not digital. You shoot film, but people, whether they subconsciously. tell you or not, there's a subconscious connection that people notice there's something different going on. And it's, you know, it's really? nice to hear. Yeah, definitely. The problem, yeah. I think, is the starkness of the digital image. It's a stark, yeah. it's flat, flat image. It does get to be amazing, but you're going to have to buy yourself. We're talking about in a ten thousand dollar camera. You're going to have to buy, you know, uh, a Leaf digital back, or I think finally Pentax is making a six forty five image sensor. Uh, it's very limited numbers. Uh, it's f- like fifty megapixel, but it's still ten thousand dollars. It's ridiculous. So I mean, if you really want to start to get that, uh, and the reason why it has that, that filmic look digitally, you're saying? Yeah, you can you can start to achieve it with that level of resolution with that mm. that expensive sensor. There's a lot of things wrong with digital sensors in terms of color fringing mm. and things like that. And what they do is in the the processing firmware, they have a lot of algorithms that are written to get rid of that color fringing. And what that does is it essentially just flattens out that image. It just makes it look really non-three-dimensional. Yes. And I think that's the reason why on those cheaper cameras, you tend to get that really flat look. Right. But for like portraiture and capturing, you know, people and kids and whatnot, digital is nice because, oh, you can see them perfectly and... You know, the skin tones are nice and, you know, but there's no atmosphere to well, the photo. Well, let me ask you, your family, are there any members of your family that are like photo enthusiasts that would t- be taking quality digital images and your stuff still looks better? Or I'd say t- it doesn't look better. It looks more unique. Okay. Okay. Because well, uh, my, my uh, brother-in-law is a film, is a, a photography teacher who, sh- who teaches basically digital. It's mostly all digital. Thomas, you met him, didn't you? Well, he said he teaches film classes. Mm, he teaches digital. Oh, does he teach any black and white or... That I don't know. I don't know if he gets into processing, but the majority of the stuff that he does teach is, you know, like framing and composition and Uh-oh. that kind of stuff. Let me just read the opening paragraph to this article. It's just so cool. Oh, okay. what, what is the name of the article? Uh, it's about tools and techniques, fine grain versus image sharpness with Tri-X film. Okay. It's very brief. There's no doubt that we're deeply into an era of Tri-X. More and more 35mm still photographers today are using this fast ASA 400 black and white stalwart as an all-purpose emulsion, especially people with a single camera. But large numbers of these eager picture makers who want to be prepared to grab a slice of life almost anywhere are selling themselves short. They just aren't getting the most out of this superlative emulsion with its relatively fine grain for a fast film. And you just read this, and I, you know, it was so cool reading articles like this because they're going to describe all the different developers, all the different uh, agitation techniques, all the different dilutions to really get them to maximize your quality or a look out of a particular kind of film. And those days are gone. It's sort of like, mm. oh, this sensor is going to do this. The problem, Dwayne, in my opinion, is that Kodak releasing their Portra 100 or releasing their new, uh, I'm sorry, their, their Ektar 100 or their Portra 400. There are people who are developing it themselves, or they're new. Didn't they release a new black and white last year? Wasn't it? Uh, they released an amazing film, T Max 400. Yet you're never going to see an article like that again mm. right. with, with someone discussing the new Kodak black and white film and the grain structure. No. Why? Well, oh, same reason. Before. reason. <laughs> and also because a lot of writing appears on the internet versus versus printed mm. magazines. So I think their attitude is, you know what? It's so expensive to print magazines. We are beholden to our advertisers. Someone wants to learn about processing black and white film, let them Google it. Yeah. So right. I think that's the reality of it. And it's a shame because it's so much fun 
you know, flipping through a magazine, reading about something like that, looking at the, the photos they took, you know, and oftentimes, you know, the reproductions don't do them justice, but still it was fun right. looking through the, the actual printed piece and, and archiving that magazine. Oh, right. I got to go back in time and, and two years and see how they process plus expand. Have you, have you ever checked online to see if they've archived these magazines and articles from these magazines? Or are you just buying them no. because you like to touch them? Uh, I, I occasionally do a search because uh, sometimes when I'm burnt out on the computer and need just some time to sit and just hold something and read a magazine, mm. I'm so dissatisfied with the current pop ph photography. Yeah. And I also subscribe to um, American Photography, which is a beautiful magazine because they feature more uh, work, people's work, yes. than they do like uh, you know, ads and whatnot. I mean, it's much more portfolio-oriented. Yeah, it's a much nicer magazine. And I was just, I, you know... I'd like to read an article about the Canon FT or the Canon AE1, and I thought, well, just, you know, do a, an like, unbiased article. Well, no, no, I, I just want to—I I want to kind of be in the era of what I'm, what I'm, you know, handling and working with. Do you put on a leisure suit when you're reading this? <laughs> yes, I do. And drink tab. Yes, I do. I'll mention something that you'd be interested in, Mike. You may never have heard it. Have you heard of Lenswork Magazine? I think we've discussed it briefly have on we? this show. And they've been around for a long time. They've been around for a long time. They are the benchmark for magazine print quality that everyone else has judged. And uh, it's only black and white, but it's, it's beautifully done black and white. And I've seen articles in there, a guy used a whole gun, a Diana, up to a guy used an 8x10 view camera. And uh, you should check out their website. It's, and that's recently? Yeah. In this magazine? Oh. oh, it's been around for like, the magazine's been around for maybe 20 years even, yeah. a long time. Huh? But it's uh, www.lenswork.com. I'll bring a few, a few issues okay. in. Okay, that'd be fantastic. And, uh, but man, again, it's just, you look at it and like, they don't have any advertising either. I don't know how they stay afloat. I guess they just... Uh, Love. Through, through subscriptions, I suppose. Yeah. But, well, uh, it probably doesn't come out every month. It's probably a quarterly. I believe it's, uh, it's every two months, I think. Really? Well, it's pretty good. God bless them. Hey, God bless them. Well, uh, thank you, John, for your experiences with, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks would want to hear about. <clears throat> I'd love to hear if people have uh, similar uh, experiences. Regarding uh, people shooting digital at home. And now people saw, you show them actual prints or they came into your No, home? no, we put pictures up on the wall, you know, in, in frames and stuff. And we yeah. rotate them pretty, you, yeah. know, but you but know. But there's not going to be any conversion factor with it. We're talking about, you know, uh, people who listen to this podcast, film enthusiasts, photography enthusiasts versus... Uh, essentially, lay people, your yeah. parents, you know, right. your parents, uh, your your you know, sp uh, people who like sports. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so there's not you don't think there's going to be any the conversion guy. factor. Conversion factor. No, no one's going to want to be able to. No one wants to shoot film anymore. No, I'm not going to convert anybody. No. Oh, thank you, Dwayne, for pointing out that, that article as well. Well, it's just the, the point that articles like that used to exist all the time. There's a great magazine called Camera in Darkroom. Have you ever? No, I have not. Oh. Yeah, I should be turned on to all these. Just really do yourself a favor. Go to eBay. Oh, and, and, and library. And buy a few issues of Camera in Darkroom magazine. A friend of mine named Steve Mulligan, who's a great black and white photographer uh, in Utah, used to be a contributing uh, uh, photographer for them. And he, he has a lot of articles published on... Uh, it was all about that. It was about... Uh, Cameras in dark, dark rooms. rooms. Right. And, you know, it was amazing. Every single month they had a darkroom tour. Yeah. You know, sh show us photos of your darkroom. It was such a cool, cool. thing to see. Mm. Some people had massive darkrooms. Mm. Some people devoted – some people built 
They, they built a separate addition to their house oh my goodness. for a dark room. Oh, that's fantastic. Unbelievable. That's fantastic. They had three enlargers, you know, an 8x10, a 35mm, a 4x5 enlarger. They custom built sinks. It's nice having a dark room. I can only imagine. I always mention that dark room at William Patterson. Yeah, that was beautiful. It was huge. Actually, How many, you know they what? had like we 20 should, well, enlargers in there. You know what? You wouldn't want to go. You're not as nostalgic <clears throat> as I. I'd like nah. to go back and still, still see if it's there. Probably not. Well, I also wanted to mention, you know, uh, a few shows ago we talked about uh, file storage and my suspicions about um, organization of files and how people keep their family memories. Because let's, let's face it, if you have a family, you want to keep an organized archive so like that you have your, yeah, your family history. And in years past, when I was growing up, our families had what Dwayne has right here. Dwayne brought some family shots in. And you get your film processed, and it come back in an envelope, and you have your prints and your negatives. Hmm. And usually the family member would, you know, write the date and then put it in a on, in a, a cabinet, box. yeah, in a box. Which you may say, "Oh my God!" But you know what? It was organized, and everyone knew where the stuff was. Not Kodak order extra prints from us today. <clears throat> That's right. And your family organized their photos like that? Well, no, well, no, they had them in a box. They were in a box, and they yeah. were all over the place. But still, the fact that it was film photography. People, it was the same thing with with Super 8 and 8mm movies. People uh, were more, used their, people shot less. You have a roll of 24, and that roll of 24 lasted that whole holiday. Yeah. So you weren't, it wasn't this, you know. You were selective. Yeah, you were selective about what you were shooting, which in turn, over the course of 10 years, uh, amazingly reduces the number of images that you need to archive. Oh my God, yes. So, So I was at your house. Uh, John was kind enough. I stopped over his house. I shot some stills on Kodachrome for his uh, daughter's birthday party. Birthday. Yes. First birthday. Birthday party. And uh, you were running around. You weren't around. I was in the backyard and standing next to your brother, Mark. Oh, yeah. And it was really kind of like a a guy moment. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I was standing there. And the kids were all playing. And we were just standing there. Like, hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Mike? Then we're talking about cameras because, of course, I have my Canon FT with me. I asked him. I, it just popped in my head. I'm like, yeah, you, you're shooting a lot of pictures? Like, oh, yeah, I'm shooting a lot of pictures. Digital, right? Oh, yeah, all digital. I'm like, what, uh, what's the process like when you shoot, 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 shoot? Do you organize your pictures in, in like a folder with a date? Like, mm. do you keep things organized? And he was just like, he's like no, 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 no. Stuff's all over the place. Yeah. He's like, I, 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 I'm like, do you know where any of the stuff is from, like, let's say last year? He's like, hmm. I have to tell you, not really. Yeah. Do you get prints made? <gasps> not really. You know, something's happening here that needs some attention. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you put a little time into it now, or it just becomes so overwhelming that you never deal with it. Uh, I think, and like I said before, when the alien ship mothership comes and it decides to send out that big smart bomb right. of, of microwave radiation, it's all gone. Yeah. It's just wiped clean. <clears throat> I thought that, you know, and this is, I guess, my advice for anyone shooting. I mean, even if you're shooting film and getting your stuff scanned, I mean, I do it religiously. And because I've managed it that way, uh, it's not overwhelming to me, but mm. it can be overwhelming. Sure. So let's say someone wanted to go into your brother's archive of images and say, okay, let's put together your family history. I mean, it's a task, a daunting task Good that's luck. not going to get accomplished. You, you'd have better luck finding Rosebud <laughs> in Citizen Kane's warehouse. So the only advice that I can give to folks out there listening, who in turn give it to uh, uh, that advice to your family, because most likely if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little organized, is to you know, you know, mention that. Because I mentioned it to your brother. I'm like, mm. well, you may want to, as soon as you're done shooting, 
transfer the stuff into a folder that's marked by date. This way, even if your stuff's a mess, you know, it's in folders marked by date. So if you're like, oh, hey, Bob, remember when John had that get-together yeah. for, you know, his daughter's party? Yeah, yeah. Well, we took some shots of so-and-so, you know, because... Or mom was still alive then. Maybe there's some shots of mom there. Exactly. Let's go find it. Yeah, yeah. good luck. Yeah, so that's, that's something else. Dwayne is looking through. Uh, I asked Dwayne. I asked Dwayne to bring he's, in. He's got a tear in his eye. It's me when I was like, "Oh my god!" I asked uh, Dwayne to bring in some uh, images that were shot. Is that self-portrait? Oh, for yeah, real? Right? It's got you were way ahead of your time, Dwayne. <laughs> Let me see. How old are you? Like ten, nine or ten. See, he's taking uh, arm at arm's length portraits. Yeah, it still looks like you. Yeah, because the head's chopped off a little bit. Wow, it's hilarious. Dwayne, in the past, has mentioned his... You should put uh, that up on your Flickr page as your... Uh, that was... Is this a 126 camera? I don't know what the format was. I'll show you the size of the negative. It's very, very uh, small. So I've been bugging Dwayne to bring in his uh, images. It's huge. What is that? Oh, that's 127. That's huge. 127? It's 127. It's a Kodak Boy Scout camera from the summer of 1968. I was nine <coughs> years old. This is probably... What it might look yes, like. Yes, yes. It's, it's just like that. I'm holding in my hand a Kodak Fiesta camera. Uh, you know what? Let's save this conversation for later on because I'm going to be talking about 127. Sure, sure. You know, I, try, I try to get the, 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 the digital camera in my phone takes Polaroids in that. What is that? Two by two? They're not Polaroids. Three by three? Well, the faux Polaroids. What do they call it? Well, it's the hipstamatic. Oh. But when I go to process them, they, only, they won't allow you to do it in the original format. You have to do it to four by you six. You have to crop it. Yeah. You need to Sucks. go to mpix.com. Mpix? That's right. Just the letter M. Mpix.com is a website. I oh. see them advertised in, in, in every photo magazine. I've been to Mpix, and I've gotten prints made because of that same reason, John. Right. I had a square image. Right. It'll give you a choice. Really? It'll be like, you know, 10 by 10, 10 by 12. 10, like, it'll give you different... Uh, what is that? Three by three? That's completely square. Two and a half by two and a half? That's completely square. Yeah, yeah but what are the square. dimensions? I call that 126 format. Oh, okay. But uh, it's, it's 127. Those so. are from six by six. Those are from a Rolleiflex, TLR. Ooh, it's still square. Still square, yes. Square. Yeah, you can't get square images yeah. in the mass market. Let's, uh, let's come back to that. M photo, you said? M Pix. M Pix. P I X Pix. M yeah, just like in uh, Channel Eleven. Nobody in the world is going to here know in what New we're York City. In the in the in the late nineteen seventies, they had a video game. Early video games were popular, like Atari twenty six hundred, and the TV channel aired like a missile command type thing. Yeah, and the uh, kids would call in, and you'd see the game on the TV screen, and, and you'd have to in order to fire the missile, the kid on the phone would have to say Pix. Picks, picks, and on the other end, presumably there was some tired technician pushing the button every time the kid said picks, and you could tell when the kids would go picks, 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 picks. Kids would just get carried away. Guy would be like, "You little and you won a prize. Yeah, if you got if you smashed enough things, yeah. Crazy, insane. You know, it's been a while. I think it was since the summer, but we got a letter from Aussie Phil. Oh, does he know the Wiggles? I don't know. We always, you always tend to uh, use, say his name in the way South Park portrayed Phil Collins. Hello, Aussie Phil. (laughs) It's a Cockney accent. (laughs) Anybody that's British on South Park talks like It says Mike, Dwayne, John, and from time to time, Joey K. He's like, guys, 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 you have made, you have made my year. Yeah, all right, Aussie Phil. Yeah. He says, I have a high stress job. 
I'm 45 and about to have a second child. I feel oh, like I feel like I Casey know. Kasem. <laughs> you know how Casey Kasem reads letters? And now a letter from Aussie Phil. Aussie Phil, Phil writes in from Auckland, New Zealand and says, I am 45 and I'm about to have a second child. I'm right there with you, Phil. I live in a big city and spend a lot of time in traffic and queues. Ugh. I no longer live near a surf beach. Ugh. I have a stomach paunch these days <laughs> that seems to mock me every morning in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> Look at you. Look at what you've let yourself come to. <laughs> and the only creative and peaceful out- outlet that I have is film photography. Thanks for doing what you're doing. It just makes me happy. So Aussie Phil says, enough of the fluffy stuff. You know, completely understand. And that's why I've kind of painted the, the, the visual picture for FPP I've painted is that, you know, this is the place to kind of hang your hat and hang out. Dude, well, it's the place to go to, like, put your feet up. Yes, you just relax. relax just talk Kids are think, asleep. Think about the day is done. Film, photography, and having fun with your camera. In the 70s, did you ever use this photo lab where you send it away? Yes. And you get the print and these two... Little Why? wallets next to it. Why? I know exactly the photo lab. As a matter of fact. Why? What? No, what what would you ever do with those little photos? Here's a little picture. You, you cut them apart and use them as wallets. <laughs> that was the theory. And my friend Mitchell turned me down to this Mitch Kaplan. He goes, you gotta, you gotta use, <laughs> you can't use any other lab. There's this new lab and you send it out and you get and a you photo. And you have yet to cut any of those. And I've never in my <laughs> life cut a Useless. single one of these. Useless. You're absolutely right, Dwayne. Dwayne's absolutely right. And this car is number eight, Bobby Unser's Olsenite oh, Eagle. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Bobby, wow. Bobby Unser drove this. He's the, he was the winner of the uh, Indianapolis 500. And back then, in the 1970s, there was a, 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 a USAC-sanctioned raceway in Trenton called the Trenton Speedway. Really? And back in those days, after the race, the race car drivers would park their cars... And you could go, and you could just say, touch the car. You could, touch, you could go in the cockpit. You oh, could my God. So this really? is a picture of the people, like, reaching in. Yeah, there's tons of people. And, and looking at Bobby Unser's can, can car. Can I scan that? With greasy fingers all over the car. Uh, this is Mario Andretti's car, STP. Yeah. Oh. That's a great shot, That's Dwayne. Mario. That's a, a great shot. Mario Andretti's Which car. Which camera shot that? That it was the Kodak Instamatic. Was it 127? It was probably this company, Dwayne. Triple print color film. Yes. Look, look at that. Yes, I have it. A, I have a roll of film here from my vault. This look guy, this. you have everything. Look at this. Isn't that the, I'm holding up... Both the, the packet of film, which shows the main print and two little wallets to the yep. side, and I'm also holding up a print that was the product of this service. And these prints are from 1973, and it says here July 1970, so it was early 70s the service was offered, yeah. The pitch was that you buy their film, kind of like Seattle film works, their film, just right. a little different. You buy their film, and when they mail you your prints back, you get a, a what size is that, 4 by 3 Get like a you know get a regular snapshot square. size picture. Get a square with two wallet size. So attached. that if people are like, that's a great shot. You're like, oh, here, let me give you. This and it was small like one. a cl- yes, it was like a club, very much like like Apple users today. Everyone tried to turn you on to it. Hey. Now the problem with their film, unfortunately, is well they went out of business. I guess at some point, I have a roll of 620 film in my hand from July 1970, and uh, it was old C22 processing which is not available anymore three easy steps to jet age service national headquarters jet Jet age take a photo place roll of film and four dollars in envelope place in mail four dollars yeah i used to touch i used to take four one dollar bills seems like a lot of money doesn't it yes i used to place them in an envelope since sharp will do it for a dollar 29 no no i think they give you the film for free they'll send you back a roll of film see there you go 
So I have an unused roll of film. I bet you it's dust. So anyhow, Aussie Phil. We feel for you, man, and thanks. Well, he gets on with it. Glad he, he's to just, be just kind of giving you. us a personal, some personal insight. He says, um, I have lost count of the cameras I own, but after owning two cameras for around 12, 13 years, I'm now up to around 20, Mark. And he says, I'm still infatuated with my Bronchia S2A and a struggle to shoot any of the 35 cameras. He loves his Bronchia. Bronica. Bronica, thank you, Dwayne. Bronchia. He says, I'm going to get a, spasms. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have to get a second job to pay for the film. <laughs> says. Uh, I saw one of your kids. I love listening to Dwayne talking about his film processing during his, during the first birthday show. That was our October show. Mm. That was amazing, and I replayed it a few times. I finally sent my Kodachrome film you sent me a few months ago to Dwayne's in Kansas, and he's waiting in anticipation. What I'm going to do is it. I found a very, very inexpensive way to rotary process 4x5 sheet film using a Jobo Unicolor print drum mm. and a Bessler rotary motor base. It's very, very inexpensive. What I'm going to do is take photographs of it and put them on the Facebook page probably within the next couple of days. Oh, very nice. So uh, go to the Film Photography Podcast Facebook page, and you'll see some snapshots of the, the setup that I uh, I forget where I learned how to do it, but it works really, really well. And for those that want to shoot sheet film and rotary process, because T-Max films, the tabular grain films, love constant agitation. Right. They can model and streak if you use tray processing. So rotary agitation is the order of the day. So this is a real inexpensive way of doing it. He says, I checked out Canon camera site, and I now know what is my ultimate dream camera kit to own. A camera as big as a house. <laughs> A Canon 12 by 20 view camera with an 8 by 20 reducer back, and if possible, a 12 by 12 reducer back for some super-sized squares, heaven on a tripod. <laughs> if you are going to do more 4 by 5 stuff on the show, uh, could Dwayne's book of the month be View Camera Technique by Leslie, Leslie Strobel? Strobel. Hey, you knew that. Well, I, the thing is, I bought uh, Using the View Camera by Steve Simmons. Leslie Strobel's book is really, really highly technical, and it's more a textbook because it deals with the Scheinflug principle and a lot of uh, angles in arithmetic and things like that. Steve's Using the View Camera, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is a lot more user-friendly, has a lot more illustrations in it. Right. And uh, More so pictures. Yeah, more pictures. <laughs> Some of the people posting on FPP, Flickr page are truly talented. I spent hours looking yes, they through are. it. The people who post on Flickr are amazingly yeah. talented, and it's created a whole universe that I'm sure ph photography enthusiasts and maybe, uh, Dwayne, professional photographers aren't too jazzed about. Because mm. now, <laughs> you know, if you're a pro photographer and you're putting out books, you have a flood of competition from, am I'll call them amateur pros, people who are talented and have a good eye and are producing amazing images, and all of a sudden you have this flood. And I would think that there's some repercussions to, let's say, stock photography sites like... Uh, iStock Photo? iStock Photo, or uh, what's a big, big... Well, oh, we got, uh, um, don't get me started, Mike. You oh, see, these are the main stock guys. The big ones used to be Getty. Getty Images. They used to be Corbis. Corbis. They're still there. Bettman Archives. A lot of them have been uh, kind and of... And the Image Bank. But now they can go to Flickr, do a search, and find just as good images from a amateur. Well, they were cons a lot of those big stock photo agencies were consolidated. And the photographers used to make one-time usage rights, $500 a photograph, and right. make really decent livings. Well, first of all, I believe Bill Gates bought and consolidated a lot of those big agencies and introduced the theory of royalty-free image licensing. So in other words, 
right there, your paychecks were decreased. Then you came up with micro-stock photo agencies where people with the introduction of digital technology and the internet mm -hmm. now sell photographs and are very, very happy to make pennies on the dollar. The theory being a million people can all take a great photograph a year. A professional photographer is supposed to take a great photograph every single time. So they said, you know what? Let's go with the million people. They'll send us their one great photo a year. They'll be happy to make a couple of dollars. And then they, all of a sudden, they have a million photos in their image bank. So the game has changed. The game, it's a different world. Yes. It's, it's as simple as it's a different world. And if you were making a living from stock photography, I'm I sure it's think, very painful. I don't think you are anymore, my friend. It's painful. Like, I, you, you, you're out of a, you're out of a, a, a livelihood. So My... Uh, a girl I photographed many, many times from a Model Mayhem account called me the other day and said, Duane, do you know that someone has taken our photographs off of the Model Mayhem page and is selling them as screensavers for cell phones for $3 a piece? I think told, told us the story. Oh, did I? Yeah. It's okay because it's a sad story. Well, it isn't sad because, I mean... Well, it keeps you... I think... My name's it, on them. They know who... Yeah, I, mean, I it's, think it's, it makes you... Uh, just when I was trying to... Try, well, just when I was trying to talk Dwayne into being more free with his images... That's right. We, we did talk about this. Yeah, yeah, I said, Dwayne, why don't you put your stuff on Flickr? Don't sweat it. Who cares? Someone's stealing his images, and all of a sudden, like, you probably feel very protective again. Uh, actually, I've lightened up and realized there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing you can do about nope. it. Nope. Once you send a text, once you leave a voicemail, once you send an email, once you put something on the internet, it is there for the world to see forever. Well, the thing is, Dwayne, if someone steals your image, let's say in the U.S. or in Europe, you, you'll be able to actually fix that. If it's somewhere in Asia or in Russia, that's it's, it's almost impossible to, to legally do anything. I don't think anybody's getting rich from it anyway. Right. So, I mean... Yeah, but if they do 20 guys stuff at three dollars a pop <clears throat> yeah they oh, are but they're not getting rich just it, off of your images or another person's images it's everybody's images that they're ripping off altogether uh the amazing thing about these these prints from the 70s is the dyes have held up fairly well that's good I mean, fairly well they're not i mean some of it that's faded but it's still pretty good for 19 that's uh pretty amazing for 73 yeah very red although the car is probably red I'm just saying the red. The skin red. tones aren't red, though. No, they're pink. Our good friend Aussie Phil's go. He goes on to say, "This is actually a second email. I just happened to nab it at the right time. Could you please ask Dwayne to explain what lens sizes will work with a larger KB Canon camera in regard to the angle of view and image circle coverage? What would the wide-angle lens on an 8x20 Canon camera be? I would be very interested to know, as these things are now on my ultimate wish list, and I can easily get in touch with KB." As I am in the Oz. You know what? This letter sounds like it came from Oz because yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. Goodness, thank goodness Dwayne is here to save the day. To decipher. I will definitely use this information when next considering a large format lens for my 4x5. You know I love the show. Signed off. Phil. Phil Rouse. Aussie Phil. Also known as PBR Photo on Flickr. Well, Aussie Phil, I've never used an ultra-large format camera. The largest format I've ever had experience with is an 8x10. But the thing of primary consideration when you're using a lens with an ultra-large format camera is, as you've mentioned, covering power. 
Is that lens going to project an image circle which will cover that enormous piece of film? And will it do it evenly? Evenness of illumination is also something that's of, of great consideration because some of those lenses are very, very sharp in the center, but as you get to the edge of the illumination circle, they tend to get a little lomo looking. They get a little, they get a little uh, smeared. Sure. They get a little bit fuzzy. The resolution, the line per millimeter resolution of lenses in general is much sharper in the center than it is at the edges. And when you get these ultra large format lenses, they really, really, really can degrade towards the edges. So and how, do you, how do you figure that out? You have to get a lens and just use it. And I hate to be so ambiguous mm. about that, but lenses have been made for these cameras since the late 1800s. That's why they were called banquet cameras, because people would take these monstrous 12 by 20 Corona wooden view cameras mm. and they would shoot banquets with them. They I've, would, I've seen images for they banquets. Would, they would line up 100 people, yeah. make it, the camera in a horizontal orientation. They would take a photograph of it, contact print that piece of film and give away this beautifully detailed contact print of banquets. So they became known as banquet cameras. The point being lenses for these cameras go back well over a hundred years. Now, the manufacturer of, uh, of lenses that are modern day coated lenses with a really good, say, uh, shutter that's guaranteed to be reliable, Nikkor makes uh, I believe a 300 millimeter lens is the one that Keith Canham had on his 12 by 20. I know uh, Schneider makes a spherical lenses. They're called the Schneider Aposimar a spherical XL. XL means extra large image circle. Wow. So if you're looking for a modern day optic, Nikkor does not make large format camera lenses anymore, but I believe their 300 millimeter one covered some of those bigger formats. And definitely if you want to spend major bucks, Go with the Schneider Aposimar Spherical XLs. They're in the thousands, though. They're a lot, a lot of money. But as I said, older lenses, if you don't mind some lenses that are uncoated, if you don't mind them if they're in the barrel, meaning you don't have a shutter, you have to use the hat in front of the lens trick right, to expose right. it. Or if you want to find someone who will retrofit in a shutter for you, there are lenses that go back to you know the year 1900. I mean, Ilex is a name you want to look for. Uh, Verito is a name you want to look for. Are they for. expensive, Dwayne? Uh, it depends on the condition of the lens. It's all condition-oriented. Some of them, you know, they have scratch marks in the lens. They have fungus in between. Uh, those, of course, are a little bit suspect. But I would say you could probably find a lens that would cover that ultra-large format camera to get you started for a couple of hundred bucks. And as usual, eBay is the way to go. And the website to go to is uh, lfinfo.com, largeformatinfo.com. I post on there all the time. I post images on there all the time. And, uh, you know, there's, there's people there that are just simply mind-bogglingly knowledgeable about the two people on there that, that know the most are uh, a guy named Jim Galley, J-I-M-G-A-L-L-I. -L -L -I. He is in Tonopah, Nevada. He is, knows more about lenses than I will ever know. Another guy named Ole Tehugen, O-L-E-T-J-U-G-E-N, and he is in Norway. And if you go on that, on APUG too, I believe both these guys are in APUG, and you just look up their names and look up their posts, they talk about lenses. Again, they've, I've, you know, they've forgotten more about lenses than I'll ever know. But again, those are the two brands I would look at, Nikkor and Schneider, and all the older stuff too. Thank you, Dwayne. You're quite welcome. Are there uh, newbie threads on those uh, boards so that someone who's just getting into it can kind of ask questions? There are, but again, there's a lot of, hey, go Google it. Oh. Hmm. 
you know? Well, I, I mean, think people out there really use discretion uh, because many times, really, the Google, the Google really does work. As a matter of fact, the Google will bring you to a, th- to a thread on those sites. The Google. But really? so, much, so much you just want someone to talk to, to talk to you as a person. Oh, I understand. Right. But many times when I get a camera, like, for example, we're not going to be talking about it now, but I have a Falcon Miniature 127 camera. Uh, you know, I have no paperwork with it. I do have paperwork, but back in the old timey days, they didn't tell you what the shutter speed was. Mm. They just, you know, it's a, it's a consumer camera. Like so I Google a camera model and the, you know, shutter speed, f-stop, and many times I come to APUG, a thread where someone has already asked that question. Mm. So I think folks who so Google s- it first. Yeah, I think you should Google it first, then ask questions. Get a little knowledge, then go ask questions. Because uh, posters, people who post regu- regularly on the internet. Seem to get get a little. Ve- they seem to get very agitated when someone brings up a topic where there's an existing thread. Why? Well, there's no reason for it actually, but you know. I because mean, I think they th- they're on it every day. Yes, posting on those websites is something they do every day. Every day, and they see kind of a unified continuum from day to day about the topics that have been introduced, discussed, resolved, and pushed into the background, and they want to keep revolving new yeah, topics. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many topics you can talk about. No, you'd be amazed. Really? Yeah. Before you come back to the other stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, if you're talking about especially film and processing, I mean, there are so many films that have been around and so many processing techniques and so many different types of chemistry. I mean, you, you could talk about it forever. Sounds but I mean, the point, the point being me. that, well, we've discussed that already and you can't. That's just ridiculous. I know. That's kind of rude. It's ridiculous. You just guide somebody along or exactly. you say, hey, let's, let's talk about this again. See if somebody has something new they may want to add to this exactly and and my point being it takes more energy to like to type something saying don't talk about this than it does to just ignore it i don't know but those people can go scratch (laughs) john we're going to talk a little bit about um my featured camera today is going to be a polaroid 100 automatic which we've never discussed before i was wondering did did you want to shoot a little video segment i'll shoot video take a quick break Hi, my name is Butcher. I'm Brain Chomper. And I'm Gambling Man. We're here to tell you about our show, The Killer Reviews Podcast. Each week we discuss movies new and old, talk about our lives, and every once in a while we'll have interviews like Fred Vogel from Tag Pictures, Daniel Harris of the Halloween franchise, and Charles Gibson, the special effects advisor for Terminator Salvation. We also have special episodes like our full review of the Alien Quadrilogy, a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective, and Clash of the Titans. And we're also very, very sexy. Especially you, gambling. Yeah. Our podcast is available at killerreviews.com. And if you sign up for our forums between now and 2012, you enter a chance to win a romp in the sheets with Big Butch. Hey, it's Mike Rosso, and I'm here to tell you about The Pink Delicates and their full-length album, Who Stole the Quiet Day. You've heard lots of cuts here on the podcast, and you can check out their full-length album by going to cdbaby.com and searching Pink Delegates. Their music is right there, ready for download purchase or buy the CD. Check out the Pink Delegates. Who stole the Quiet Day? Hey, 
Hey, this is Michael Rosso, producer of the Film Photography Podcast. If you visit our newly revised homepage, filmphotographypodcast.com, you'll notice that in the upper right-hand corner there's now a donate button. This means we want you to get involved. You can donate a vintage camera, as long as it works, some film, or U.S. dollars, which we'll turn around and put right back into the podcast, filmphotographypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. With the new Polaroid Color Pack camera and the new Polaroid 50-second color film, you can take the most beautiful color shots you've ever taken. And the easiest. Even with color flash pictures, you don't worry about special settings. You get color flash pictures automatically with the new Polaroid Color Pack camera. We just took a short break. We're back. Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast for December 1st, 2010. My name is Mike Rosso. I'm here at the studio with, as you know... Our two pals, John Fideli behind the camera now, and oh, Dwayne right. Polkew. For uh, fans who listen, who now could see us on video, thanks to the courtesy of John Fideli and his iPhone camera. Apple. Apple. I got a letter from Ulysses Lara. Ulysses is in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, he or she says, I don't know if it's he or she. Ulysses is uh, a man's name. Yeah, Ulysses is a And he said... Uh, I'm 23 years old. I've been shooting for two or three years now. I started shooting 35 millimeter in high school and then moved up to 120. My favorite camera right now is the Polaroid 100 automatic land camera shooting Fuji FP100. And that brings us to our topic today and my camera of the month, which is the Polaroid 100 automatic instant film camera. And I brought some stuff out of my uh, vault of cameras, namely the Polaroid 100 automatic. Oh, look at that thing. This camera was made in 1963 and was one of the first of its kind. It's got a bellows. Yes, it does. And uh, this started a whole series of cameras that ended with the Polaroid 450, the Polaroid Automatic 450 camera. This is the first in the series, the Polaroid Automatic 100 camera, and you can still get this from eBay. I bought this camera from Nate from Nate Option from 8. Option, from Option, Option, Option. Say it, boys. Nate, Nate from, from Option 8. And Nate has a uh, website called Option 8. If you Google Option 8, you will find it. And he restores cameras. And uh, you can actually purchase cameras from him as I purchased this. And one of the best things that he does is he takes the old-timey battery compartment and he converted the battery to three AAA batteries, which are accessible anywhere. And that's a, a big plus because some of the older cameras take batteries that are very difficult to find. You have to find them in specialty stores, and they're very expensive each. I mean, this battery costs about a dollar or less per battery. But if you had an older battery, which I'm going to show you, this is the Polaroid uh, 104 camera, uh, which is very similar to the Polaroid 100. It's just once they introduced the, this model, Dwayne, which has a glass lens, and a very nice uh, viewfinder. Uh, some of the models actually say Zeiss. Oh, really? Yeah, the 450 is a Zeiss viewfinder. Polaroid started making cheaper models, and this is the Polaroid 104, and the difference is it's che more cheaply made. It has a plastic lens as opposed to a... 
The thing with the 104 is, and some other models that came out after the 100, is they were less expensive to purchase, and the viewfinder it will not fold up. A less expensive camera. And the battery compartment, this one has the original battery intact. So I'd like to show you the, the original battery. As you can see, this takes a EverReady 532 battery, which doesn't exist anymore. So if you buy a camera like this, let's say on eBay, uh, and if the battery compartment is not corroded, which by the way, if you're going to buy a camera like this on eBay, the most important thing to ask, the most important question to ask the seller is, is the battery compartment corroded? Do you see a white or blue-green type corrosion in the battery compartment? Because if you do, then you're going to have some major, you know, it's like a toxic cleanup. <laughs> You can have some major clean, cleaning up to do, and there's a good chance that the, the wires may be defunct and not operational anymore. If the camera is clean, if you don't want to do a uh, battery conversion, you can just go to Radio Shack here, like in the U.S., or RadioShack.com, and find these old-timey batteries. So that's the difference between. Radio Shack will still make that type of battery. Radio Shack still stocks the newer batteries that fit those model cameras. Wow. They could be 7 or $8 each. These cameras are readily available on eBay, or if you'd like to spend a few more dollars and buy a refurbished from Nate from Option 8, just Google Option 8, you'll find his site. The Google. Go, go, go. Now you may ask, Well, gosh, Mike, if I buy this camera on eBay, how do I buy a film for it? Do I buy a film with the Impossible Project? What, what do I do? Fujifilm makes two, right now as of uh, 2010, Fujifilm makes two films for this camera. It's called Fujifilm FP100C Color Film. It's a uh, 100 ASA film. And they also make Fujifilm FP3000B. It's a uh, black and white film that's rated at uh, 3000 ASA, if you can believe that. But it's pretty sharp. It's super sharp. And these are the two films that are currently available from any big camera store. I'm going to take some color film because, as you know, during the podcast, I love to shoot images of what we're doing here in the studio. So I'm going to load this camera for you guys at home. By the way, I mentioned the Impossible Project. If you went to theimpossibleproject.com, they do not manufacture pack film anymore, but they do have an area where they still stock Polaroid pack films, like Polaroid chocolate film, Polaroid, you can't eat it, Polaroid blue film, and it's really fun stuff. So if you're going to start shooting with packed cameras, check out the Impossible Project and some of their, uh, you know, slightly expired Polaroid film. I've used it, and it's, it's really great. And it's a little bit, gives you a little bit different sort of flavor of film than the, just the Fuji color or black and white. So to load uh, a camera like this, there's a latch on the bottom. Of course, if you go to option eight, or do a search on this camera, you'll find others, or check our show notes, you'll see um, some links of where you can find info on these cameras. But here's the back of the camera. This is an old cartridge that was in there. Pops out. Here's the inside of the camera. It's hollow. It's hollow, it's the, be the bellows are open. The film, here's the pack film. It, uh, it kind of ju just slips in. You just put it in here, like so. And it, it kind of just snaps in. Here, I'll show you a snap. Wait. Snap. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Now, you have to make sure that you don't snap over these tabs because ultimately this is the film you'll be pulling out of the camera. Just make sure this is all, you know, nicey-nice. And then you close the camera. Now, there's been a lot of discussion on the web about the newer film packs and how they get uh, loaded into the camera, and it winds up being very tight. So tight 
that when folks are pulling these tabs, the tabs break. And I can tell you that is a big problem. So the most important thing is to use the force. Yes, a Jedi's strength flows from the force. But beware of the dark side. <laughs> use like the Zen. It's gentle pressure. It's gentle pressure. Don't yank. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try right now to get the black card out. Oh. And it broke. Oh dear, now what? The black card broke, and I'm gonna do a repair right for you right here. Now, luckily the black card broke and not a film, uh, a film. So the film is still, you know, not exposed yet. So taking the pack out. And here, here's the root of our problem, by the way. You see this? This is holding our pack into the camera, and it is, uh, it's too, too, it's too, too tight. It's too much pressure. So I'm going to take some tape. Yeah, let me. Now, this dilemma, I'm really thrilled. I'm, I'm not thrilled I'm, that this dilemma happened, because I'm now going to tape. And sometimes I do this before I even load the film. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't do it this time, because many times if you just... It, put a little extra tape on the first uh, black card that you're going to be pulling out of the camera, it will reinforce the black card so that it doesn't snap like it did for us. So I'm going to lovingly attempt to reinforce. Is this your own technique? This is my own technique, although if you read on the web, lots of folks talk about this dilemma. This is a very common thing that happens. It's mind-boggling when it happens because you feel powerless. I'm going to tape it right back so I have something to yank. So I tape that one side, and now I'm gonna tape the other side. There's no science to this, it's just sort of like common sense. I'll tape the other side. My goal is to get the black card out. Now you may say, well, Mike, what happens to the first exposure? The same thing may happen to the first exposure because the most pressure is on the first few exposures of the pack. Many folks out there who shoot with these cameras have removed this, this pin. And I'm doing my best to press this pin down so it doesn't put so much pressure on our, our camera. Let's try it. Let's put the pack of film back in, snap it back in, close the door, and now I'm once again going to attempt to get the black card out of the camera. Good luck, Mike. Th thank you, John. Hey, look at that. Nice. I'm now going to take a shot. Now let's see how your first photo goes. Yeah, let's see how our first photo goes. Let's, uh, why don't I take a shot? I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a shot of John. Now with these pack cameras, really, the, we're gonna get the most grief out of the first exposure because the same thing about the pull tab can happen again. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna look at you folks. I'm gonna concentrate here. Let's see you pull it yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's really like an even, I can't even explain it, just. Uh. Nice. Uh, and here is our first image. came out rather easily, and uh, we're going to wait. Uh, I think the recommendation is like 30 seconds for this. Whenever I shoot with uh, the Fuji Film 100C, I can't resist. I always get a piece of paper ready because I take the negative side and I rub it on the piece of paper, making an immediate what's known as a Polaroid transfer. And when I don't make the transfer, I feel guilty about the fact that I didn't because sometimes it yields a better image or a more grindy image than the actual print. Let's uh, peel our print while simultaneously I'm taking the gooky negative side and putting it on a piece of white paper and I'm going to tr attempt to do what's known as a Polaroid transfer. That is a Polaroid transfer. Wow! 
As you can see, I probably should have left it to develop a little bit more. Uh, I'm also shooting with uh, uh, daylight balance film, and I'm shooting in indoor mm -hmm. studio lights. That's why Dwayne and John are orange. I can tell you something else before we go, and I found this amazing because many times I have a flash with this, the, the uh, Polaroid flash that came with this camera I own, but unfortunately the wiring has gone bad and it doesn't work anymore. So I thought about it, I did some searching online, and I found that you can use an electronic flash with the uh, Polaroid camera. It's a PC socket. Because it's a dual port, many folks are fooled to think that it needs something special, when in fact you don't. That's a typical, ready, regular PC port. And I'm going to take a shot of John with a flash to see how it comes out. By the way, this, this is always, uh, uh, any online sites that talk about using electronic flash with your camera say, buyer beware, it's conceivable that your electronic flash can mess up your camera. They're not giving any warranty that it's going to work. I'm using my Star Blitz. This is my Star Blitz uh, flash, which I love. I've had this for about 15 years. <laughs> and I'm going to plug in the Star Blitz into the PC socket here on the camera, as we discussed. Just kind of plug it into the PC socket, right there, PC socket. And most flashes have this. You just stick it in there like that. Okay, great, it's in. I'm going to uh, focus John up right now, where he is. That's great. I'm gonna, juice up, I'm gonna juice up my flash. Here's the shutter on the camera. This, you know, this sets the shutter. Perfect. As soon as my flash is juiced up, I'm going to shoot John. One, two, three. As you can see, it worked, which is uh, sort of like uh, an amazing thing to discover when having such an old-timey camera that you can use an electronic flash. Let's see if uh, we expose something or if we have a black image. Once again, carefully. carefully. Careful. Breathe. Oh. While we're waiting, I'd just like to say that uh, once again, you can get this camera uh, on eBay.com. There are many, many, mo many models of the Polaroid Pack cameras. I recommend the Polaroid 100. It was the first in the model, but I also recommend the last model, which is the Polaroid 450, mostly because it's much newer. It's in the early 70s as opposed to the early 60s. The Polaroid 450 is a much newer camera, and you'll probably get that much more out of it because it's so much newer. Let's peel our image. Ready, John? Oh! Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it worked! Look at how nice it is. Yeah. Put that right there. And there you have it. Uh, I mean, who would have thought it? Using an electronic flash with the Polaroid 100 camera. Here's my image transfer, which doesn't always work. Well, you didn't do Ooh. it very evenly. While I was talking about the Polaroid 100 automatic, uh, Dwayne, you, he kind of like drifted away like a ghost. And I thought I saw him over in a part of the studio where I have a few cameras. A few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had a few hundred. A few hundred. A few, few cameras. I don't have a few hundred. A few cameras that, uh, that um, kind of drift into the studio. That is a Mamiya C22 camera Dwayne has in his hands. Now, I know Mamiya made a C330, which was a twin-lens reflex camera with interchangeable lenses that was very popular with wedding photographers. But in all honesty, I have never heard of a C22 in my life. Really? No, I'd never heard of it. 
is an ad in popular photography, which I'll put on our show notes page. Is this the same camera, Dwayne? See, this is the this is the C330 right here, but it isn't a C22. Huh. Oh, I guess the C. I guess it was a mo later model. Maybe this is an earlier model. This camera belongs to Desiree Seisha. Des oh, this, is, this is not yours. This is not my camera. It belongs to Desiree. Desiree is a model actor who I've shot here in the studio. And she was telling me about her family's old-timey cameras that she knew nothing about. And I said, well, why don't you drop them by, and we're going to shoot some stuff with them. And, and so these cameras are here on loaner. Very good camera. Have you I, shot with it? I have not shot with it. I would say that if everything checks out, like the shutter, uh, why don't we ask Desiree to come into the studio, and you could shoot her with it. Desiree being a model actress. Yes. Would you be up for that? I would be just up for it. Just as a test, just for fun. Sure. And she also lent us a Yashica. And Dwayne seems very jazzed about the Mamiya, so I will shoot the Yashica. And we'll have a little shoot off. John can come and shoot with his iPhone. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, moving right along, I just want to say a, a big thanks to folks out there who have donated to the podcast, donated either cameras, film, or cash. And it is really greatly appreciated. Uh, uh, Jeff Smith, he's one of our uh, folks who donated. He donated 50 U.S. to us. And Jeff says, I've enjoyed the show since the beginning. I've made a donation. I thought I'd email you so you know more about your listeners. Well, I'm, I'm really thrilled. Uh, Jeff is a Arisa attorney. That's E-R-I-S-A, attorney in Cleveland, Ohio. In my spare time, I enjoy photography. E-R-I-S-A, attorney. That That is, um, I believe, uh, having to do with uh, retirement benefits. Okay. So Jeff is a lawyer who specializes. He must in, be really busy right now. There's a lot of changes with the laws. Mm. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on here regarding laws. He's been active in photography for about five years as a hobby, and I shoot with Nikon F6S, a Mamiya 7 rangefinder, a Mamiya RB67. Vacationed in Spain earlier this year, and uh, he took the, he just took his F6 and a 50 millimeter lens and some film. Which is great because, you know, sometimes when I go on little trips, even though they're not very far, <laughs> I pack very light. Yeah, you don't want to be bogged down. No, I just take, uh, sometimes I just take the 50 millimeter, and then if I have, I have a Temba bag, uh, I sometimes I throw a zoom in there or a wide angle. Right now I'm spending a lot of time on nature photography, and he would like to figure out how to take pictures of people. I think a lot of people don't uh, t shoot people. Start doing it. Yeah, just start doing it. He has some Kodachrome left, and he says, I have way too many rolls of Kodachrome. Oh. So if you know of anyone who wants some, let me know. It's December 1st, folks. And un unfortunately, I have to limit this offer to folks in the United States because I will not be able to get film overseas quick enough to for you to get it, shoot, and get it back to Dwayne's. If you're overseas, I recommend going to eBay and picking up some Kodachrome. Right now. Yeah, right now. Thank you, John. Go now. We'll wait. <laughs> I picked recently, I picked up some more Kodachrome from eBay because I was looking for Kodachrome 200 film to shoot in my Olympus Stylus Epic. And John and I are like blood brothers when it comes to, we both have Olympus Stylus Epics, and I'm going to give some to John, and we're going to be shooting some uh, 200 ASA Kodachrome around the holidays. I'm going to shoot one in my Olympus and one in my Minolta. Oh, very nice. If there's anyone out there who still. Last, this is the last call. Really? It's like last call for Kodachrome. Yeah. Last call for Kodachrome. Last call for Kodachrome. Last call for Kodachrome. Last call for Kodachrome. 
I, I don't have much left. I do not have much left, and I cannot ship overseas. Uh, but if you're here in the U.S., please just send me a very fast email. I'll see what I have, and if I don't have enough, I'll reach out to Jeff right. to see if Jeff has any left. Film Photography Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Jeff, for your donation. And it's historic. You owe it to yourself. It's you yeah, it. yeah. A lot of folks who have <coughs> shot the film that I sent to them have really expressed that they. You don't know until you know. Yes. And you got to do it to know. Exactly. So on our website, filmphotographypodcast.com, there is a donation button. We are a free podcast. Anything helps. So feel free to visit our site and to, uh, if you want to chip in, it is greatly, greatly appreciated. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, thank you, Jeff. And thank you, everyone else. We've gotten quite yeah. a few donations. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, People have emailed me on Facebook and told me they're going to send stuff in. And yeah. I find that their generosity most inspirational. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And for folks... Just a reminder, I'm extending our contests, our contests from November. I'll extend two more weeks, and we've been getting a lot, a lot, a lot of email entries for the Kiev 6C120 SLR. And why wouldn't we be? It's a tank. It's a wonderful camera. I've been getting a lot of emails for the book Plastic Cameras by Michelle Bates. Mm. We met Michelle at the PDN Photo Expo. And we had great an book. interview with her. It's a great book if you're thinking about no pun intended, toying around with some cameras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael. Oh, you're just a, you're just a caution. And we're, <laughs> and we're giving away the Vivitar plastic point-and-shoot camera that has the, the faux panoramic button on it so you can shoot very wide photos. Faux panoramic. Exactly. So if you'd like to win those, rush your entries in to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. We'll be back in two weeks, and I look forward to seeing, well, you know what I mean, seeing everyone then. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.